If you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of James. We are going to look at one quick paragraph. In fact, we're going to finish the book of James chapter 4 this morning. But I want to see verses 13 through 17. And it all has to do with this idea of thinking that you're all that. That you could actually depend upon having a tomorrow. And uh, I think it's... uh, it's quite fitting given uh, some of the things that took place this past week as far as my dad is concerned and, and where Gabriel's at. And uh, I don't know that he's been in much danger, but he had to, I know he and his little crew had to spend the night in a, in a, a train station overnight. They actually were going to get a taxi to take them to the bus station because they had to bus from there to another town. And when they hailed the taxi, the taxi driver said, uh, you don't want to spend the night in the bus station. You need to stay here at the train station and later in the morning taxi yourself over there. I don't know what that means. But anyhow, you know, the brevity of life and uh, the fragility of life. And that's what this particular paragraph is about. Let's go ahead and read it together, 13 through 17. Come now you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet... You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. There were actually three things that I, well, really four, but the fourth is kind of a conclusionary statement. So I'm going to go with three ideas that deal with this, deals with the concept of having the brevity of life. Before I start, though, I just want to give you a personal that kind of gives us maybe some context. Both Cindy and I turned 60 this year. Uh, Cindy's birthday is January the 28th. My birthday is February the 28th. And so as I've told you in the past, for a solid month, she's older than I am. And I take full advantage of that. I let her know that she's a, you know, that she's an older woman and I'm a younger man. All for, for a month, I can play that joke. But then my birthday comes around and we're back the same age again. So uh, 60 years old. Now, for some of you, that, that sounds not very long, I suppose. And, and then for others of you, maybe it's a, a long time. I know for my, my little grandchild, Judah, uh, 60 years, that makes me, you know, one step out of the grave. He just thinks I'm an old man, you know, decrepit and everything. But anyhow... I honestly, as I look over my shoulder at 60, I, it's been a whirlwind of events. Um, it's, it's, it's been fast. It's been a, a ride that almost like a roller coaster at times, you know. There are some things, I'll be honest with you, at 60 years, I think to myself, well, I've been here a long time. But then on the other side of it, it just seems like yesterday that I was living in Pennsylvania, for instance, where I did a lot of my growing up. When mom and dad had their 60th anniversary, it seems like 60 is a theme, Today. But anyhow, when mom and dad had their 60th anniversary, my little sister, I think it was her, or maybe my niece, somebody did a something really special for them. And in that they, uh, we all gathered around the computer and there's a thing called Google Maps that um, when you get on a computer, it basically, uh, it shows you, you can zoom in on areas uh, and uh, you, you may have even seen the vehicles as they drive around and they're taking pictures and videos and such like Anyhow, you can zoom in on certain areas, and I did a lot of traveling, or or moving, I should say. I think when I was in eighth grade, I had been in eight different schools, something of that nature. Um, Dad being a preacher, and and the military prior to that, you just do a lot of traveling. Well, on their 60th anniversary, we decided we've got to revisit these spots. 
And so my little sister or whoever it was that was running the show, she would zoom in on this house. And sometimes it would only take you to the street. And so you had to kind of zoom in on the various houses to figure out which one was yours. And, and there were changes that had been made to the street and changes that had been made to the houses and then that kind of a thing. And by the way, if this whole idea is creeping you out, it should, because you can do the same thing to your house right now. Somebody has taken a picture of your house within the last probably 60 days or so, and it's on Google Maps. And if I wanted to go home today, I could zoom in on your front door. But anyhow, we, uh, we did this, and, and it was really amazing to see the changes that had taken place, etc. But back to my sermon. As I was going to each of these spots, a lot of them, from New Jersey to Pennsylvania to Texas to Arkansas to Illinois, then back to Arkansas to Kentucky, etc., all these various places, as we were zooming in on them, I was having these memories of, man, it just seems like it was yesterday. And I'd say to my little sister, don't you remember when we used to, on that tree right there, we, we, we'd climb that tree. And it was just really odd to be like 60 years later and, and we're talking about some of these places as if it was yesterday. Now back to our text. Skip all the way down to verse 14, if you will. It says, yet you do not, do you not know, uh, you do not know, excuse me, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? My first idea here is, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, we've all thought about that. That's one of those really common passages that is talked about a lot. A lot of sermons given on it. I can remember standing in front of my granny's uh, old wood stove that she was making tea or for whatever she was warming up. Maybe I remember back in the day when she didn't have running water. I remember we used to have to on Fridays, we'd take a bath in a big old bath, a big old tub, and she'd have to heat the water up on the wood stove to put it in there so that, and then all the cousins would run through that thing and you always wanted to be towards the front end because if you're at the tail end of that, you getting in some nasty water. But anyhow, I can remember, I can remember those days as she would warm up the water on the wood stove and you'd stand in that little flapper, you know, at the front, it would, and, it, and you'd hear that, that real high pitched sound to remind you that the water is, is ready to, you know, it's bubbling or whatever it may be. But you would then see that mist as it came out the spout of that, whatever you call it, pot, whatever that thing is called, that you put on the wood stove. And I remember watching it, and, and, and you know, it, it, depending upon how hot the water was, the, the mist would come out maybe six, eight, ten inches, and then it, it really began to dissipate from there on. You didn't really get to see it, see too much of it. But one of the things I've noticed about that, and I'm not sure that this text is necessarily referencing that, but I think it could be, is that it was very transparent. Now, not when you get all the way back to the nozzle, but as it, the further it got from the nozzle, it was not only dissipating, but it was transparent. It, it didn't have a lot of substance to it. It just missed. And I wonder if James, or the Holy Spirit through James, had that in mind when he used this illustration. Your life is very fragile. And there's not a lot of substance to it, if you think about it. Now, the fact that you have the Spirit of God living within you, that gives you not only credibility, it gives you longevity, okay? So you've got a lot of substance. But without that, without that faith in God, if you think about it, life is, it's not just short, it, it's, it's fragile, it's transparent. It, it, it doesn't have a lot of substance to it. As I was reading this text and thinking about that thought, I was again considering my 60 years. 
I like to think that I've done some good things in 60 years, you know. I like to be proud of the fact that I did this and I did that and I went there and all those. I like to think that, wow, you know, Sonny changed, Sonny Childs changed the world. But you know that's not the case. A hundred years from now, there will be very few people that will have any clue that Sonny Childs ever stood in this pulpit, if the Lord tarries. Our life is, I'm not going to say worthless, because it's valued by God. But in comparison to other things, if you think about it, our life is just like a mist. It's, it's like a vapor. There is a famous tree or several famous trees, actually, that uh, grow in various spots. Some of them are in the Orient and uh, in various places. But there's an olive tree, I think it is. I don't remember what kind of tree it is, but it, it's been there for, they, they estimate, like 3,000 years. And this, this tree has stood. You've been to California, some of you, and you've seen the redwoods, and you know, you know, it's you know, like they reach to the sky and all that. That's pretty cool, isn't it? You know, I think. But in the grand scheme of things, as far as eternity is concerned, how long is three thousand years? That's a spot in the timeline. There's no, if there is a timeline as far as eternity is concerned, and you didn't get close, you won't get close to living three thousand years. So, what is your life? It's just a mist. It's a vapor. It appears for a moment, then it's gone. And I think the question you have to ask is, how much value do you place upon that little misty moment? In the context, he's saying that you're arrogant if you really think you have much control over it. Let's move on, and I think you'll see what the Holy Spirit has to say about it. He says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, I want you to notice that in that phrase, he, he validates your misty moment. He's not saying that your moment of mist is insignificant, but he is saying it's significant because of the Lord and his will with your misty moment. And so, yeah, I'm only going to get a spot, not even a spot in the timeline of history. Mine's going to be just a minuscule little speck. And compared to other people that have crossed the timeline, like an Abraham or a David, my life isn't going to mean hardly anything compared to them. But it does mean something to me. And I think that's very important to recognize. I read an illustration, probably going to tell it wrong, and I, I think it was starfish. But the man was walking down the beach, and he was picking up these starfish and throwing them back into the ocean so that they wouldn't dry up on the beach. And he was just winging them as fast as he could back out there and back up. And a guy came up behind him. He said, you know, you can't get to all of them. You're not, you're not really making much of a, of a difference here. And the guy just continued to pitch him out there into the ocean. And the guy continued to kind of plague him with it. You're not really doing anything. You're not making a difference. Not even making a dent in the number of starfish that are here on, this, on the sand. And finally, the guy got a little frustrated. He turned to the man with a starfish in his hand. And as he winged it out into the ocean, into the water, he said, it made a difference for that one. I'm that one. That's my misty moment. I get it. I'm not going to be an Abraham Lincoln that's going to save the nation. I'm not going to be an, an Abraham who's going to be the namesake or, the, or bring about the namesake that would uh, 
caused the Jewish nation to eventually allow us to have a, 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 a Messiah. I get all of that. But my misty moment's important to me. And you know what? My moment of mist is important to God. There's a reason he let me be. And although I may never become the president of the United States, I've got purpose. And God says in the second phrase, what we really should say, if the Lord wills, I'll do such and such. You see, that's what gives me value. If a sparrow can't fall from the sky without God noticing, and that sparrow has got a much shorter lifespan than Sonny Childs, and has done much less as far as significance is concerned with regards to grace and gospel and salvation as Sonny Childs, if God notices a sparrow, you don't think he notices me? You don't think he notices you? Oh, I get it. Your life is but a mist. You're only here for a moment, then you're gone. I get that. But that moment's significant. And God doesn't want you to forget that, but keep it in context. Your misty moment is, is significant because of a God who makes it so. So, instead of bragging, tomorrow I'm going to do this. Next week I'm going to have that accomplished. God says, you need to say, if the Lord wills, tomorrow I'm going to do this. If the Lord wills, next week I'm going to accomplish that. Because it's all in the hand of the, of the Creator. Your misty moment is His. And so allow him to dominate it and to receive glory from it. And when you don't, phrase number three, notice what happens. He says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, you will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. To take confidence in something that's outside of your control is arrogant. And your tomorrow is just that. There's not a guarantee that any one of us will get home today after services. There's not a guarantee that any of us will see another sunrise. None of that is within your control. So what are you going to do with it? Well, you can sit here, wring your hands and say, oh, woe is me. I'm out. It's out of my hands. It's out of my control. How, you know, and you can worry about it. Or you can recognize that the same God who loved you so deeply as to bring you about is going to manage your tomorrow. And whether you get home from our services today or not, or you wake up tomorrow morning and see the sunrise or not, your moment is still significant. And if you have, point number two, said instead of, I'm going to do, you said, if the Lord wills, I'll do. If you've done that, then your misty moment will turn into an eternity in the presence of Jesus, which is, of course, the goal here. I want to be more than just a brief moment, a brief mist, don't you? And he says, I got that in mind. God says, that's exactly right. I want you to be eternal. I want you to come and be with me where there is no misty moment. It's an eternity. We are together. But to do that, point number two, we've got to approach life from a if the Lord wills. That's why you're here this morning. I know it. And so I brag on you for that. You got up this morning, you made the little trip here to the church house because you understand the Lord's will is significant. There's a thousand places you could have been, and most of them much more convenient than coming here. But you didn't. You came here because you recognize 
then the grand scheme of thing, my little misty moment depends upon the will of God. So I'm going to make sure I'm where he wants me to be. Last phrase that you're going to see here, and it's not really my fourth point, as much as it is the Holy Spirit's wrap-up. Notice what he's going to say at the end of this chapter. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. <clears throat> I've heard many of sermons on this, that line, that sentence. And most of them, all of them that I can think of, were out of context. In fact, let me give you a confessional moment. I've used that very verse out of context. Now, that doesn't mean that we necessarily used it wrong, because a lot of verses that give us are cut from a specific context can be expanded. But I need you to recognize, as we're trying to move through the book of James and do our, our best to understand what God is saying, that in context, this line is made toward those who are arrogant about tomorrow. Let me read it again. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Specifically in context. So if you know the right thing to do is to say the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, I'll do so. To take confidence in the Lord's will for tomorrow. If you know that's what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it. Instead, you fall back on the arrogance of I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's sin. That's missing the mark. And Paul will say in the book of Romans, the wages of sin is death. We don't want to go there. And so in context, he is specifically making that statement, the Holy Spirit is, with relationship to the idea of being arrogant in our predictions about tomorrow. Now let me hasten to end this thing with one final thought that I think is really important, and that is this. I do not think that this passage in any way is undermining the concept of making plans. God expects us. God is a God of order, is he not? And Paul will even, he will rebuke the church of Corinth saying that their, their services were chaos. And he says, God doesn't want that. But you know the only way that you can keep from having a worship service that is full of chaos is for you to make some plans. There were plans made before we ever got here this morning as who's going to lead singing? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? So it was wrong of us. And I don't know, maybe some of those plans were made yesterday. I, let's just assume they were, Nathan. I'm going to say yesterday, you guys, you came up with who's going to lead singing tomorrow. Well, hold on. Anybody who makes such statements, you know, that we're going to do such and such tomorrow. What's this passage say? That's arrogance. So was it arrogant for us to make up that, hey, I think tomorrow we're going to have so-and-so lead singing and do this, that? No, it wasn't arrogant. As long as we're doing it within the Lord's will. And I fully expect that the two men have led singing and others who are participating, I fully expect that they recognize that it's up to God whether or not they even make it to the church building tomorrow. But the majority of folks in the world don't operate that way. The majority of the folks in the world are operating according to what they think they can get done under their power, and therefore they get the glory. And you see, that's what gets you a hot spot in hell. That's what is sin. I don't think there's anything about this passage that would suggest you're not allowed to make plans. But when you make plans, recognize that in the grand scheme of things, you're but a mist. The only way to accomplish it is to, if the Lord wills, and then avoid at all costs the arrogance of thinking, I can do what I want because I'm big and bad and I'm Sonny Childs and I can make plans for two months down the road. I'm going to do this and that without ever consulting God or recognizing that he's the one who's really in control of whether or not he even get two months from now. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him and his sin, you know the right thing to do. 
Don't count on tomorrow. All you got's today. You can plan for tomorrow, but only within the Lord's will.